morning. Welcome to Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. We're excited that you're here. I am Ian. I'm, a, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you are new, we would love for you to fill out one of the cards that are in the back of the pew um, just to get to know you, and um, you can just leave them in the offering plate or give them to the church office. A um, couple of quick announcements. Uh, we're super excited that we are doing a youth group winter retreat this year. Uh, February 12th through the 14th, we're going to be going to Four Springs Camp and Conference Center. Um, it's going to be super fun. It's going to be snowy because if you look outside, I mean, it's snowy. Uh, lots of skiing, tubing, all kinds of stuff. It's going to be a great time. You can find more information on our website. Just go to tlefc.org and click on the Youth tab. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to... Oh, actually, one other announcement. If you are a baker... We need more Sunday morning goodies, all right? So, um, yeah, if you're willing to, you can drop off donations at the um, church kitchen and label them Sunday morning. You can put them in the freezer or on the corner countertop or wherever. But leave your baked goods there, and uh, someone will eat them. That might be me, but someone will eat them. All right, worship team. wanted to wear my sparkly sequin Packer baseball cap this morning, but I figured for any of you that are either not fans of the NFL or Bears or Vikings fans, that would uh, be a little hard to get past for worship. So would you stand with us this morning?
Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. If you're joining me for the first time, you're watching online. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be here with you this morning together. As we continue this time of worship, one of the ways we can worship God is through our giving. And so if you are a regular attender, remember here, I want you to worship in that way by giving. You can either drop um, a gift in the basket on your way out on your left, or you can go to our website, and there's a link to give there on our website. If you're visiting and you're not a regular attender here, please know that we're not asking you to give. We want this service to be a gift to you. Would you pray with me? Father, as we gather as your people in this place this morning, we thank you for the privilege to come before you to sing praise to you that even though we are sinners, though that we have rebelled against you, that you, through Jesus, made a way for us to have our relationship with you restored and to be able to come into your presence in worship and in prayer. We don't want to take that for granted this morning. You, you made it possible for us to come to you and worship you. Thank you for the way you've worked through Jesus to save us and to restore us into a right relationship with you. And would you pray for our church and these people gathered here, pray for people who are going through challenging times, going through sickness, going through that you would give them endurance and comfort and perseverance. We pray especially for the family of Virginia Elson. Virginia passed away this past week. Uh, Yeah, I just pray that you would comfort them. That you would give them peace. We rejoice that with you in glory now. Okay, we pray for our country as we transition in this new presidency, God, that you would you would be with our nation, be with our leaders, that they would and lead in a way that brings honor to your name, that you would give them wisdom. That we trust that you are in sovereign control over all that takes place, that you are king of all the earth. You have a good plan for your children. I pray for churches around the world. They go through various trials that they are persecuted as they
faith different challenges, that you would be with your people, that all your people would together be confident of your good purposes and that would compel us and motivate us to live lives for your glory, whatever that may look like in each of our different contexts. God, would you be praised, would you be honored, would you be glorified this morning as we come and we sing to you? God, would our heart be fixed on you? Would we lay aside other distractions and bring all our attention to bringing, singing glory to your name? In Jesus' name, amen.
what we're feeling, no matter what's going on, Lord, that you you do come through. You will come through. You are faithful regardless of what we might be feeling or going through. And we're just so grateful for that, Lord.
it be true that our heart would hunger for you, that we would come before you knowing our weakness, we would come before your throne, God, knowing what you've done for us, trusting in you for our hope and our salvation. We praise you. You are the one we praise. You are the one we adore. God, help us to remember that as we continue worshiping you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this, the past week, right, we saw the inauguration of Joe Biden as our 46th president. Kind of like, and regardless of what you think of his politics, right, there's no denying that his inauguration is an important event in the life of our country. Like, inaugurations are almost, by definition, significant events. They provide a chance for the like, inaugurated leader to, like, to cast a vision for how they see the future of their country unfolding. And so like, it shouldn't probably surprise us that some of the most famous speeches in United States history are come from inaugural addresses. Like it was in his first inaugural address with the nation that gripped to the Great Depression that like FDR said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And it was as the country was facing the hostilities escalating in Vietnam and the nation in the midst of the Cold War that JFK said, ask not what you can do for your, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. All these famous lines come from these inaugural addresses that these leaders cast a vision for what the future of the country holds. But of course, following an inaugural address, the leader has to put that plan into action. And so, there's often a lot of talk about the importance of the first hundred days of a new presidency. I think you'll hear that a lot probably in the next hundred days as President Biden's presidency gets off the ground. It's in, that, it's in that first hundred days that we get to see how the president is going to implement all these things he, he talked about. We can see how they're going to put their plan into action. And in today's passage, in Genesis 11 and 12, right, we see an inauguration of sorts. We see God inaugurate a new stage of his kingdom on earth. And then following his kind of inaugural address, God puts his plan, starts to put his plan into action. We see God's first hundred days, as it were. So in his inaugural address, he kind of lays out a, a vision for what the future of his kingdom will be like. And he invites one man, a man named Abram in particular, to be part of that vision, to join him in pursuit of that vision. And like many other inaugural addresses, right, God's inaugural address here includes some famous word, word you've possibly heard before. There's just one key difference. In a lot of inaugural addresses, 
politicians make promises they can't or won't keep. But in God's inaugural address, that we'll read in a minute, he's going to make some big promises, but then he's going to keep all of them. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 11. We'll start in verse 27. So you have a Bible. I'd invite you to turn there as we prepare to read that. If you don't have one with you, there's one in the seat in front of you. Before we jump into the passage, let me just give us a little context for what we're walking into in this passage. If you were were with us two weeks ago, and we talked about the story of Adam and Eve and their fall into sin in the garden, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule over the earth as God's representatives. That the garden was supposed to be the place where God's kingdom on earth started, and then it was supposed to expand to cover the whole earth. But instead of obeying that command, they sinned, and they're driven out of the garden. Instead of the earth being filled with God's glory and God's kingdom, the earth begins to fill with violence. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. One of them kills the other, and then things just go downhill from there. They get worse and worse until ten generations later, ten generations from Adam to Noah, God says to Noah, right, the earth is full of violence. So we looked at the story of Noah last week, but if you weren't here, you need a little refresher. Right? God basically starts over with Noah. Right? Where Adam and Eve failed, God gives Noah a fresh start. He destroys every living thing on earth except for Noah and his family, and the people with him, or the animals with him in the ark. So God gives Noah this renewed creation. And he makes Noah a new kind of Adam. Noah and his family, they're now the new citizens of God's kingdom on earth. And they get the same command. The command to be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth. To spread out and fill the earth. They're supposed to be God's representatives advancing the kingdom of God over the entire earth. But Noah sins, and his son Ham sins against him, and this causes Noah to curse Ham's son Canaan, and Noah also blesses his own son Shem. And that blessing and cursing will be important in a minute, so just hang on to that. But Noah and Ham sin, and then quickly the whole world falls back into sin. And that kind of culminates with the story of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11:4, we read, Then they said, these are the people after Noah, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower that reaches the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Right, so God tells Noah, right, Be fruitful, multiply, advance the kingdom of God across the earth. And what do these people do? They, they say, let's build a tower to demonstrate not how great God is, but how great we are. And we want to do that so, that so that we don't get scattered over the whole earth. Right? It's the very thing God commanded people to do. Right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's the thing they're trying to avoid doing. God tells them, fill the earth. They're like, let's build a tower so we don't have to go anywhere. 
And so God comes down and he confuses their language and he scatters them over the face of the earth. But because of their sin, even though they're now scattered, they aren't advancing the kingdom of God. They've rebelled against God and they've been exiled from his kingdom. And now, once again, another ten generations later, we see this become the story of a man named Abram. And so it's interesting that it's ten generations from Adam to Noah and another ten generations from Noah to Abram. And in the story of Abram, right, Abram will later become Abraham. God is one thing in going to inaugurate his kingdom on earth. He's going to present his vision for how that kingdom will spread throughout the whole earth. But the difference this time is that like, this kingdom is going to stick. This kingdom is going to last far more than ten generations. And if you wanted to kind of summarize God's plan for his kingdom as he expresses it to Abram, it would be this. Right? People from every nation will be blessed as the earth is reclaimed for the kingdom of God. So with that in mind, let's jump into today's passage, starting in Genesis 11, starting in verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Stop there for a second. And like two important things we read right there. Right, first, Abram, as Terah's son, is in the line of Shem. Right, so the earlier part of Genesis 11 kind of give us that lineage. And, but Abram from the line of Shem, and Shem right, is the son that Noah blessed. Right? He's the one that Noah prophesied would make slaves out of the Canaanites. So Noah is from that line. And the second important thing to note is that Abram is married to this woman, Sarai. And Sarai is childless and unable to conceive. Like one thing to know about Hebrew writing, and especially if they write narrative stories, right, like they don't give you character description unless it matters. They don't tell you things about character unless it's important to the story. And so here, the story telling us that Sarai is unable to conceive is significant. And so Abram is from the line of Shem, and he's married to this woman Sarai, and they're childless, because Sarai is unable to conceive. And with that information, we come to Genesis 12. And this is where we see God's inaugural address. He begins his plan to reestablish his kingdom on earth. Now, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we read, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here, this is God laying out his plan for how he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. And it boils down to this. Like, God's going to bless all peoples, like all nations on earth, through one man. Like, through Abram, God is going to bless the whole earth. All nations of the earth will be blessed through Abram. But to do that, God asks Abram to leave everything he knows and to set off for a foreign, unknown land. And so just imagine you're, you're Abram in this situation. So first of all, this God starts talking to you that you don't really know. Like In Joshua, we read that Terah and Abram were worshipping false gods when the Lord talked to Abram. And so he's not following God. He's not following the Lord. He's following false gods. And so all of a sudden, God just shows up and talks to him. And so in that way, like, Abram is kind of the opposite of Noah. With Noah, God chose the most righteous, blameless man he could find. But with Abram, Abram's just hanging out in Haran, worshiping false gods when God shows up to him. And like, God made a radical request of Noah. Right, like, build this gigantic boat. And trust me. Right? But at least with Noah, there's that pre-existing relationship. Right? Noah had been walking with God, and so it wasn't shocking that Noah obeyed. Right? But with Abram, there's no pre-existing relationship. Like, Abram's not walking with God. He's following false gods. So just imagine, right, you're Abram. Like you, you have no connection to this Lord who shows up and starts talking to you. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this God asks you to leave everything behind. And so, in particular, God tells Abram to leave three things behind. The first of those is land. It's like God tells Abram, like, go from your country. And now we live in a very mobile time. Like, like we've talked before about how often my family has moved. Like each of our three kids were born in different states. Like we've been around a lot. But that was not the norm back then. Like you didn't just like pick up and leave your country because you felt like it. Like you were rooted in a place, especially when. Right? Leaving would also mean leaving your family. And that's the second thing that God tells Noah to leave. Like, leave your country and leave your, your people. Now you might be inclined to say, like, well, it can't be that uncommon, because right? Abram's father Terah moved his family from Ur to Haran. Right? But Terah's father at that point had died. So he decides to move his family. He brings his whole family with him because Terah is like the patriarch of the family at that point. But when God tells Abram to go and leave his country, like, he's still a son. His father is still alive. 
so like for Abram to go, he can't bring the whole family with him because they're tied to Terah. Like he's going to have to leave his extended family behind. Right? And that extended family unit, unit like this, was the center of all life in the ancient world. And so like it's not uncommon today to like, we talk about like a band of brothers to talk about people who are not actually related but are bonded like brothers. Right? Or maybe you... Your kids call one of your friends aunt or uncle so-and-so, even though they're not actually a biological aunt or uncle. But that was not what happened back in the ancient world. And that's why like, Jesus' command to call one another brothers and sisters was so radical. Like one author said that before Jesus said that, before Jesus' command to call one another brothers and sisters, like, it had been unheard of in the ancient world. Family was family, and others were others. The family was the center of all life. They were your your security, your protection. Families fought for and defended one another. They were a clan. And so for Abram to pack up and leave that extended family meant he was abandoning all his relationships, all his protection, everything he had ever known. But not only was he leaving his extended family in general, he was leaving a father's household specifically. God tells him, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. And here's why like, the father's household was important. In those days, like, family inheritance and blessing would typically pass down through the oldest son. And so like, in a couple of generations... Abraham's grandson, Jacob, is going to cause something of a ruckus by like, impersonating his older brother Esau to trick his dad into giving him the blessing. Right? And the reason that's such a big deal is that Esau, as the older brother, is supposed to get the blessing. That's how blessings worked. The eldest son got it. And so Abram, as the oldest son in Terah's family, is in line to receive blessing and inheritance from his father when he passes away. And by leaving, he gives all of that up. And so when God tells Abraham to leave land and to leave family and to leave his father's household, like it's a lot to ask. But notice, God doesn't ask Abram to leave anything behind that God's not going to give him back in return. God asked Abram to leave his country. But then he says, to go to a country, I will show you. God's going to give Abram a new country. God asked Abram to leave his people, to leave his extended family. But he promises to make Abram into a great nation, to give him his own extended family. God asked Abram to leave his father's house and the blessing that comes with it. But God promises that he himself will bless Abram. And what's truly amazing about this story is all the, all the I will statements God makes. God shows up to Abram, who's not even following him, and says, go to the land, I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. So in previous attempts to establish God's kingdom, right? in Adam and in Noah, that there was always a command, be fruitful and multiply. 
But then kind of, it was left up to the people to fill that command. And because of that, because people are sinful and can't perfectly obey, like, those kingdoms failed. And it's not because like, those failure didn't catch God off guard. He wasn't surprised Adam and Noah failed. But it started to demonstrate that human power in, its own, in our own power, we're going to fail. We need God to do the work. And so here, God does, just that God takes the initiative. Like, he can be willing to do the work to establish his kingdom on earth. And all Abram needs to do to receive all the blessings that God promises is to respond in faith. By following God where he leads. And as we'll see in a minute, like, that's just what Abram does. But before we get there, like, it's kind of two big unresolved questions in what God promises to Abram. And the first is, how is an old man with an old, childless, barren wife going to be the father of a great nation? And the second is, how is God going to bless all people on earth through one man? So we'll look more at that first question next week when we're going to talk about Abraham and his son Isaac. But the short version is that God miraculously opens Sarai's womb and in old age, she will give birth to the son, Isaac. And Isaac will have a son named Jacob, who God will rename Israel. And then Jacob slash Israel will have 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then from there, the Israelites will grow into a great nation, just as like God promised Abram. And that brings us to the second question. How is God going to bless all the people on earth through this one man? As this nation of Israel grows, like they know they were supposed to be about spreading God's kingdom throughout the earth. They weren't supposed to just stay in their land. And so Psalm 105.1 says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done. So the Israelites knew they were supposed to proclaim God to more people than just themselves. They just weren't very good at it. See that like in Jonah, right? God commands Jonah, like, go to the Assyrians. Go to Nineveh and like, proclaim my message to them. And Jonah wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted nothing to do with God's plan for the nations. So the people of Israel kind of became inward focused. But eventually, one of the members of that nation, Israel, it would be a woman named Mary who would give birth to a son named Jesus. And that son would live a sinless life. He would die on a cross. After three days, he'd be raised again from the dead to let everyone, people from all nations, everyone who has faith in him could have eternal life. And Paul explains this well in Galatians 3. In Galatians 3.8, Paul says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abram. All nations will be blessed through you. And in 14, verse 14, he says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. The blessing given to Abraham comes to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus 
so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And then in Galatians 3.29, Paul says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Right? So if you believe in Jesus, if you are belong to Christ, then you are part of fulfilling this promise God makes to Abraham. Right? As most of us are Gentiles, or people from the nations, we are blessed by Abraham's seed, who is Jesus. But before any of that comes to pass, the very first steps need to take place. And that's what we see in the rest of this passage. So picking up in Genesis 12, verses 4 through 9, we read, So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. And so here in these verses we see like the kingdom of God once again begins to take root on the earth. Like Abraham showed faith in God and trust Him by going wherever God is going to lead him. And this is like no small undertaking. The author tells us, Abraham brings with him his wife and his nephew Lot and all their possessions and people they had acquired. And so the fact that they had like all these possessions and like acquired people, it should drive home the fact that like Abraham was doing pretty well in Haran. They were wealthy. They were living comfortably. And Abram, because of his faith in God, decided to follow God and God's call to leave Haran to go to the land that God would show him. Abram leaves behind a comfortable life to follow God into an unknown future. Like he doesn't know where he's going. And so like sometimes he's like you read these stories sort of these big caravans coming from Central America trying to get to the United States. And, like, and the reason they're doing that is because like, they are leaving generally poverty and dangerous conditions trying to get to this place of known wealth and prosperity. But that's not what Abram is doing here. In some ways he's doing the opposite. Like he's leaving known wealth and prosperity. He's venturing into the unknown. He's venturing into possible danger. Like, why, why would Abram do that? Hebrews 11.8 tells us, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham did it 
because of his faith in God. So Abraham goes not knowing where God's going to lead him. But eventually, God leads him to this land of Canaan. So depending on the route they took, it's at minimum 400 to 500 miles from Haran to Canaan. And most, most caravans travel about 20 miles a day. And so assuming they went on a direct route and traveled consistently, that's at least 20 to 25 days to get from Haran to the land of Canaan. Like, that's a long time to think about whether you made a huge mistake. And like, it's a long time to wonder, like, what did I get myself into? Like, can you imagine, like, 10 days into that journey, like, they're walking around, no end in sight. The doubts that God must have gone through Abraham's mind. Like, what did I do? But eventually, God brings them to the land of Canaan. It's a beautiful land. In fact, Genesis 13.10 says, it's like the garden of the Lord. And there's just one problem. Verse 6 tells us, the Canaanites are in the land. Those cursed descendants of Ham, who Noah had cursed, we read about last week, are in the land. And so if God is going to give this land to Abram and his offspring, then the Canaanites must be dealt with. And we see the first step in that process in verses 7 through 8. When, Noah, when Abram builds an altar to the Lord. This is what it says. That the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. <clears throat> so Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he went, and from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Anne east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So God brings Abram to Canaan. And Abram starts walking through the land of Canaan. And along the way, he starts building altars. At strategic points, often like adjacent to the Canaanite shrines, he builds altars to the Lord. So like, you've likely seen the picture of like, U.S. soldiers raising the flag on Iwo Jima during World War II. It's a famous picture. And that... And raising that flag, like they were kind of claiming that land. And that's, kind of what, that's what Abram's doing here with these altars. Like, by building these altars for God, he's claiming the land of Canaan for God. But of course, if the kingdom of God is going to advance, there needs to be more than just a few altars here and there. And so if I could use another World War II analogy, right? The land of Canaan, where it is, is Normandy on D-Day. Right? The kingdom of God was never meant to stop just at Canaan. Just as the invasion of Europe was never meant to stop with Normandy. It right? to continue to spread out from there. And that, like, that's at the stage for one of the main themes of the rest of the Bible. The word land appears seven times in this passage. It's the main theme of this passage. It's the main theme of really the rest of the Old Testament. God is not only in the process of saving people for himself. He's in the process of bringing them into a land. And much of the rest of the Old Testament is about either 
the people trying to enter the land of Canaan, people trying to hold on to the land of Canaan, and ultimately, about how their sin caused them to lose the land of Canaan. Right? When Jesus comes, he, had, he renews Abram's mission of advancing the kingdom of God on earth. After, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he gives his followers some final instructions. And so like we call Genesis 12, 1-3 kind of God's inaugural address. Right? Well, in Matthew 28, we get Jesus' farewell address. His final instructions to his followers. And what does he tell them? He tells them, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gives his followers, as his final words, a commission to fulfill the plan that God started with Abram. A commission to advance the kingdom of God to all nations. It started with Abram. It was made possible by Jesus. And now the privilege of seeing that kingdom advance to all the nations lies with us. We are like Abram, given the privilege of being invited by God to be a part of advancing his kingdom here on earth. And just like with Abram, it won't be easy. It involves sacrifice. It involves possibly losing things we love. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. But just like Abram, when God promised to bless him, when he gave up things, Jesus promises us the same thing. He says, Everyone who has left houses and, or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And the amazing thing is, like God's victory and God's advancing kingdom doesn't depend on us. Just like he told Abram over and over again, I will, I will, I will. It didn't depend on Abram. God was going to do it. The same thing is true for us. Like God's victory is sure. There is coming a day when Jesus will return and usher in a new heavens and a new earth where his kingdom will be perfectly everywhere. Perfectly present everywhere. His reign will never end. There will be an ultimate fulfillment of this plan that started with Abram. In the new earth, God's kingdom finally fully covers the whole earth. But God invites us to be part of what he is doing in bringing that kingdom to completion. Like he invites us to go and make disciples of all nations. Like my, my hope for us as a church, like, let's be a people who, like Abram, 
have faith in God's promises, have faith in what God calls them to, and therefore calls us, follows, follows Him, we follow God wherever God calls us. No matter what it required us to give up, let us be people who follow God wherever He calls. So that like, we can see the kingdom advance. We can see disciples made of all nations and the kingdom of God advance throughout the earth. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you for the way even now your kingdom is advancing. For people who are faithful to your call to go and make disciples. People who are making disciples of their neighbors, of their co-workers, of their friends. And for people who are going overseas to make disciples of nations who have never heard your name. Can we praise you for the way your kingdom advances We praise you that it doesn't rely on our own self-effort because we know that in our own self-effort it would fail. That you've already promised that your purposes will come to pass. Father, we're so thankful for the chance to be a part of what you're doing. You don't need us, yet you invite us to be part of what you're doing. And we praise you for that and we desire to be faithful to what you've called us to, to display our faith in you by following you where you call us, just like Abram. God, when we leave here, when we go, when we live lives that bring honor to your name, that advance your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But as you go, would you go with a desire to make disciples of all nations and go seeking to advance God's kingdom? You are dismissed.